Hi, it's Rainy G. It's suicide day. We're going to talk about suicide. And the reason we are is because there is so much of it going on, whether it's the combat veterans coming back and finding nothing here for them to live for or being so depressed from what they were doing that they don't want to live anymore, or it's young people, 12, 14, 16, 17, 18 years old, deciding that suicide is the only way to continue. Um, I, I, I have never truly understood suicide, I have to say. Um, does everybody once in their life think that they should kill themselves? I don't think so. But there are a lot of people who do. Whether it's the 50-year-old who tells you that they thought about it when they were 15 because of something going on in their lives, or the 80-year-old who says they can't take it anymore and they're thinking about it. Um, usually stemming from not doing the work that people need to do and should be doing to find out who they are and why they're here and then be grateful for it. Be grateful for the gift of life. Where does that gratitude go away? You know, I, I just wrote um, on another young person that I have who talks to me quite often. I wrote to him and said, save your inner child hug that inner child of yours because when we're born into this world we're born with unconditional love and the will to live that's all that's all we have we have a connection to wherever we came from I happen to believe we we came from a God that says it's time for you to go learn what you need to learn but you know everybody has their own belief system I don't have a problem with that but we come here with just the will to live an unconditional love and a body that body has a heart that knows unconditional love already and is beating strongly waiting for that love it has a mind that knows a few things but not much it has a soul that knows why it came here and that's all and from the time that we emerge from that womb everything around us tries to destroy that unconditional love and therefore the will to live when we have unconditional love you don't want to do anything but live forever because you know what that feels like you know that love is the greatest energy there is without it we falter we wilt we die but when you have that unconditional love you want to live so where do we lose it well we first lose it in the hospitals or maybe even at conception both parents have been doing drugs they've been drinking they've been doing whatever they have negative attitudes um, they don't really want kids they don't want the kid to be born they got in trouble they got pregnant they didn't want to have babies but they have to whatever the reason okay you can start out with a negative vibration and when you're born into those circumstances with a negative vibration it continues now everybody has a dysfunctional family let's get that straight right now there is no perfect family everybody's family is dysfunctional one way or another if you think it's perfect it's already dysfunctional because you think it's perfect if you know it's not perfect at least you know where it dysfunctions where it's not functioning correctly we have parents who are 20 30 40 years older than we are who have a history we know nothing about much of it hidden much of it 
undiscovered, much of it not even known, whose parents also had a history for 20, 30, or 40 years they knew nothing about. That's a lot of years to try to cram into the first 15 or 20 years of your life to understand. We don't understand what happened with our grandparents and how they felt and, and the things that they did that they told no one about so that they could survive. We don't know what happened during the conception of our parents. We have no idea. And nobody's going to tell you. And, and with our own conceptions, we don't know who was feeling what and how and why or where or even when. We think we do. We have the stories that are being passed down, how wonderful this was and we were planned and we all want, we, you know, we both wanted to have six kids or four kids or 16 kids or whatever it is and we planned you and as soon as you arrived you were our, our shining glory and we were so happy and okay, that's all true. When that baby's born, there's nothing like it in the world. But then we forget that what we're going to try to do for the next 90 years of their lives is reparent, is to change their lives from whatever they were meant to be. And we do it. It's automatic. You know, we could have a child come into, the, and they're all different, but we could have a child come into the world who was supposed to be a, a struggling artist and out there feeling every kind of calamity they're supposed to feel. But because we felt badly, or our parents felt badly, or something happened to us in our childhood that hurt and didn't get taken care of, didn't get healed. We decide to protect them from all the calamities. You just robbed the world of a great artist or inventor or scientist or doctor or whatever because you didn't let them feel what they needed to feel. You didn't let them go through it. Now that doesn't mean, you know, extreme sports and go jump off cliffs and, and do every kind of drug you can and see what it feels like. That's not what I'm saying. You all know what I'm talking about. We fall, we trip, we do all kinds of things in our lives. It's, we're taught that as children, as babies, as toddlers. We're going to fall, and we're going to roll, and we're going to pick ourselves back up and try again. And when we learn to walk, we do it on wobbly little feet, and we make our way from one point to another, not even realizing that there's a million other points to go to. Not yet. And then once we get to that point where we're not wobbling, we start running because we can and we know we can we know we can speed up the world just a little bit by putting our bodies into faster motion and we run from point to point we don't run in circles we don't run nowhere like Forrest Gump or cross from one one ocean to another although I've walked it but but we run and we fall down we go on skateboards and skis and snowboards and bicycles and we fall down and we get hurt and we get back up again. My daughter taught me that. I used to try to protect her. Oh my God, I saw her as being so fragile, the last one, because so many other things were going on with her and so many things were going on in the world. Every time she fell, when I heard the thump, I'd go running. And when I'd go running, I didn't realize I was scaring the hell out of her. Because here's this giant person running towards her, <laughs> trying to save her from whatever just hurt her. And that is scary. And so she would go into more fright about me running towards her than the actual hurt or pain that she was feeling. And she was too little to, to explain that at first. So she'd hold her breath, and she'd go into all these conniptions, and I'd get more scared, and she'd feel that, and then she'd react, and blah, 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 on and on and on. Until so she got old enough to walk and start to run. And one day she was outside, and 
she started running and she hit a, a high piece of the sidewalk and she fell and landed all over the place. And I was several you know, car lengths away and started running towards her to make sure she was okay. I got there, I went to, to touch her, and she threw her arms at me and said, Stop. Don't touch me. And was screaming. And of course, then I think something's really wrong, right? Because I'm the very wise parent and I know everything that's happening. But when she could talk through the sobbing, she yelled at me and said, Let me fall. And I had to take a step back and just look at her and listen. She said, let me fall. And I said, okay. And she composed herself eventually and brushed off all the hurts and the scabs and the blood and stood up and walked away. She was okay. I had to have faith and trust that her life was going to be exactly what she was going to make it. And I was only the guide for that life. I wasn't living it for her. I wasn't there to to relive everything that I lived and transform that into something new. I was there to take my experience, use it as wisely as possible, and guide her. The next time she fell, I froze in my tracks. I, I, it took everything I had in me, but I froze. I said, I'm not going to run to her. I'm going to let her fall. And she didn't cry. She looked at me. She hurt. She got a couple tears in her eyes. She brushed off the pain. She stood up and she walked again. And when she walked, she came back and she hugged me. She didn't say anything. But the hug said, thank you for letting me fall. Now, there's nothing wrong with falling. There's nothing wrong with dysfunctional families. You know, I, I, uh, I grew up in a family that <clears throat> tried to make everybody think it was the perfect entrepreneurial business-owning family. Uh, in town and you know every the kids always had to look perfect when they were little and and everybody did what they were supposed to do and nobody should know any of the secrets of the family and all that stuff went on well you know <laughs> then I started finding out as I got older that uh, one person in my family was adopted and <sighs> there was a an abuser in my family somewhere and I mean I don't want to say them out loud because I don't want to disclose anything that shouldn't be disclosed right now but I ended up sleeping outside in a cemetery my favorite place to be because it's the safest place and I could have taken that dysfunction I could have taken the pain of of living outside in a cemetery and turned it into the angriest most hatred energy anybody could ever think of I could have gone out and stolen things and hurt people and burned places down and thrown rocks through windows because I was so mad and could have done all kinds of things to, to supposedly make me feel better. Instead, when I slept in that cemetery, I said, I, there's me and there's God. And that's it. That's what I have. What am I going to do with what I have? The first thing I'm going to do is be glad that I'm alive. Was I hurting? Yes. Was I heartbroken? Probably. Did I think nobody loved me? Mm -hmm. I would guess yes. I'm, I'm too old now to remember. <clears throat> On the other hand, I had so much extended family, that's what I call it, people in my life that if, if they resonated with me and I knew I loved them, they were there forever. 
and those became family. It wasn't the blood line. It was the energy line. And the energy line kept me going. Did that, did that mean I used people? Not very often. Um, the only time I could say I ever used anyone as a child was um, when it got too cold. I, I'm from the north originally, from south of Buffalo in the snow belt. And sometimes in January, February, it would be minus 20, minus 30, 40 degrees. And all I had was regular clothes. I didn't have a winter jacket and boots and you know, all those kinds of things. I don't remember ever walking in boots, as a matter of fact. Um, but I'd go to sleep in the cemetery with a snow cover over bushes next to a headstone that made it kind of like a cave. And if it got too cold, if I felt like I was losing it, I would make my way across the street to where the houses were and find somebody's back porch with a door that was unlocked that was maybe windowed in or screened in or something. Usually they had a, a tarp over a glider or a tarp over a, a barbecue or something that they kept on the porch. And I would go under the tarp and roll myself into a ball, basically, and stay as warm as I could. And every once in a while, not I think maybe three times in the many years that I did this, somebody would come out from the house and carry me into the couch and cover me with a blanket and let me be warm for a while. Those are my extended family. Those are the people that I resonated with as a child. I could have killed myself, I suppose, but I never thought about it. It never occurred to me. It never once occurred to me, my life is so miserable and I'm so ungrateful for being alive that I'm gonna take that life away and now show everybody. Never occurred to me. But I have heard many, in the many, over 40 years that I've been dealing with people on a holistic health basis, um, and therefore in a counseling way, I've had many young kids brought to me. They don't come to me on their own, not most of the time. But some friend, an older friend of the family, will bring them to me. And I have to talk to them and find out why they feel life isn't worth it. Um, one girl, one time, I knelt down beside her or in front of her really and I asked what happened and she said I tried to kill myself and I said why she said just because I don't know why just because so then I said well do you know why you didn't she said no I wish I had and I said do you really she said yes I said but do you know why you didn't kill yourself and she shook her head no and I said because you have a conscience and she looked at me flabbergasted and she said I do I have a conscience and I said yes and it probably saved you and made you aware that maybe life is worth living well we did a lot of talking after that one statement and um, sometime later I saw her at a party she was fine she was all dressed up and she was happy as could be and she came over and hugged me and she said thank you for letting me know that life is worth it. She came to a circle that I did at a class. I do Native American facilitation of circles, all kinds of them. If you have the need, let me know. Um, there were about 35 or 40 people in this circle, and she joined the circle when the talking stick came to her the first time. She just held it close to her. When it came around the second time, she looked at everybody that she knew in the circle, and she thanked each and every one of them for being in her life and said, I didn't know how important everybody was 
most of all, I didn't know how important I was. And it, it changed her. She's still alive. She didn't kill herself. She's never tried again. But, but the thing was that as I talked to her more and found out more of the reasons, she came from a dysfunctional family. She had um, five brothers. Well, no, she was the fifth. So she had four brothers and sisters. She was the fifth. She was a middle child. And she felt like uh, in her younger years that everything was perfect. They had money, they had a house, they had a boat. They went on vacations all the time, big ones. Um, she always had the right clothes for school and everything else. And then something changed. I think the father's business went under or something. And so eventually they didn't go on the vacations and they had to sell the boat. And the clothes weren't perfect anymore. And all those kinds of things started happening. And she got depressed because all of a sudden she was one of those families that wasn't perfect. Well, it wasn't perfect to begin with, but she, it took her a long time to figure that out. Because as we talked about the boat and the vacations and the clothes and everything else, I would talk to her about how each of her brothers and sisters and her felt about first each other and then their parents. Because actually you're closer to your brother and sister than you are to either of your parents because the brother or sister is the combination of the two. And through discussion, Notice I'm using all D words here. There's a lot of D words out there. Drugs, depression, dysfunctional, death, you know, desperation, um, and discussion. But through dis discussing what was going on in her family after some length of time, she realized that um, what she was picking up on was her mother was unhappy, so she was unhappy. She didn't know why her mother was unhappy. And her mother wasn't quite sure why she, why she was unhappy once I talked to her, except that she knew that her mother was unhappy. So here we have a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter, all unhappy. Then she talked to her brothers. And at first, of course, the brothers wouldn't expose any part of themselves uh, emotionally. And finally, one had a breakthrough, and he was unhappy. Why was he unhappy? Because his father was unhappy. Why was his father unhappy? Because he felt like a failure, because he had a business, and the business failed. Well, okay, why would that make you feel like a failure? Because his father told him that if you don't do certain things and your business fails, then you're a failure. And probably his grandfather's father told him the same thing. That little inner child in all of those generations was told that if you don't succeed at the one thing that you're trying, that you're a failure. That's like falling down. If you fall down, you're a failure. But my kid said, let me fall. And I learned from that. And we need to learn from that. And the kids that I deal with online and on the phone and on, you know, text messaging and everywhere else I'm dealing with them need to learn that, that it's okay if you fall. And it's okay if your family is not perfect because you won't be able to find one family that is. They don't exist. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect person. That's why we're on earth. If we were all perfect, we wouldn't be here. We came here for a reason, because we're not perfect. And we're supposed to learn from all those imperfections through discussion, not through depression, through understanding dysfunctional things, not through drugs. Um, going back and forth uh, from California, what I've seen out there is a lot more than what I see here. 
but a lot more drugs. People using marijuana mostly. It's not heavy drug stuff, just marijuana. But they've turned it into a habit. It's as, it's like um, marijuanaism, like alcoholism. When you want to escape whatever you're feeling or you're afraid of, when you want to not feel pain, when you want to find that place that takes you somewhere else that you want to be, when you want to feel love, when you want to feel um, being able to love, when you want to feel accepted, when you want to feel peace, you go to marijuana. Instead of first going to your heart and your soul and going to that higher part of yourself that lets you know you are loved, instead of going to that self that says, I love me, I love me because, can you answer why you love you? Not because you're a good skateboarder or you're great at, you know, I don't know, flying airplanes or you're great at, at playing the stuff. No, 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 no. Those are skills that you can, you know, appreciate. But why do you love you? When I ask the kids I deal with, what do you love about yourselves? They cannot come up with an answer. Their answers are always, well, I think I love how good I am on skis, or I think I love how good I am on a bike, or I think I love how I play Xbox. I'm really good at that. What do you love about you? What makes you special? They can't answer that question. Adults can't answer that question. Can you write down five things about yourself that you love? Truly love. That part of you that that is different and and I don't know, makes you the most unique person in the world. Can you write down five things? What do I love about me? Well, I, I love my brain. I love the way it works. I don't always understand why or how, but I love it. I love my voice most of the time. I love my heart because I can feel all the pain of everyone around me if if that's what's supposed to happen but I can also feel love and I know it and I love the fact that I can feel love and I you all know if you've listened to me before I'm in love with love there's no two ways about it um, I love my speaking ability that's a skill but it's also an art I love my writing ability that comes from somewhere I have no idea um, from some higher self. My mother would say it came from her, but if you ever ever saw my mother writing, you, you'd know it didn't. Um, I love that I can look at someone and feel their pain or their love as it emanates from them, whether they can feel it or not. I love that I can look at them and not see body language, but see soul language. So I guess I love my vision. Do I like the way I look? Sometimes. Do I like what the VA has done to me so my looks have changed? No. Do I know I can change it? Yes. Is it going to take time? Mm-hmm. But am I am I desperate about it? Nope. Do, am I depressed about it? Nope. Do I want death because of it? Nope. Am I going to use drugs to avoid it? No. I'm not going to use any of the D words. No depression. No death. No desperation. No drugs. Will I discuss it? Yes, with anybody. I use that D word. Mostly with myself, though. And that's what I want the kids in this country to start doing. You need support. 
you guys. You need more than your family sometimes. Most of the time, actually. You're not finding it at home because the home is already dysfunctional. The fathers are out there clamoring away trying to be powerful. And the mothers are clamoring away trying to survive. And they all have these years before them that happened long before you even were a thought in their minds. And they haven't done the work to heal them and they haven't been able to. They haven't even tried, many of them. And the ones who are trying, uh, they're running into brick walls. They take little tiny baby steps forward and giant steps back. And a baby step forward and a giant step back. And every time they take that giant step back, that spiral continues to spin and it's like a tornado. And they get stuck in it. And then when the eye of the storm comes over and they feel like, oh, gee, it's calm now, I'm nice and everything's cool, they settle in and, and they think life is good for a day or a week, 10 days, two weeks, a month. And then it all starts over again. It's that terrible cycle that people go through. Everybody wants to go on a bike. Well, that's a cycle that you're already in. Okay, and that has to change because you have to get to the point where you say, I'm not gonna do that cycle anymore. And listen to your own words. I have a friend who tried to do some cycling uh, three or four weeks ago. And uh, it was a different kind of cycling than normal. And when she got done, she said, I can't do this anymore. I used to be able to, but I can't. And I said, listen to your words. You can't do that cycle anymore. I have a friend who hurt herself. Well, she didn't hurt herself. The, the mountain hurt her. And it was on her left hand, on her wrist. And I said... Listen to what your body's trying to tell you because what we will do with our bodies when our energy is out there trying to say, please do what you need to do. Your soul is yelling at you saying, please change this, change that, stop this, do this so that we can get our bigger work done. When that energy is out there and we don't pay attention, we'll get brought to our knees one way or the other. That sounds religious, like you're going to bow down to whoever. Well, you get brought to your knees. We create and manifest illness. We create and manifest injury. We cause things to get in our way because we need that, that excuse. We need the scapegoat to say, well, I couldn't do it because I broke my leg. Or I couldn't do it because I got sick. I couldn't get it done because I was too tired. I couldn't move forward because somebody was in my way. I couldn't make any changes because if I did, it would affect everybody else around me. I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> okay, well, listen to off everything I just said. Start backwards. If you're going to make changes, it should affect everybody around you. And if you make positive changes, the effect will be positive. It can't be negative if you're making positive changes. If you're coming from loving yourself enough to really love yourself, how can it be negative to anybody? They might not like it. It might make them uncomfortable. It might make them look at themselves and they don't want to. It might make them make changes that they didn't think they wanted to make. But if you're coming from love, if you're truly coming from love, not fear, not, not thinking that you're coming from love when you're afraid of something. If you're coming from love and you're doing what you need to do because you truly love you and you love your life, it affects everybody around you in a positive way, regardless of what it looks like. So what I'm saying to these suicide people, everybody's trying to kill themselves or trying to get the attention for killing themselves. We know, I know, 
that you're doing it for attention because you don't feel love. Okay. If nobody else is going to do that, give you the love that you think you want and need, why don't you start with you? If you can't love you, how can anybody else? If you don't love all the parts of you that you want everybody else to love, how can they? You have to start with you. And I know I'm doing this a lot this year. It's going back to you, but it has to start there. Everything starts with you. It doesn't end with you. You're not the be-all, end-all in the world. You're not the center of attention for the whole universe. But you are important to it. And you are central to it. You can have your own little circle around you and decide who can step over the line to come into your circle and who should never step over that line. And it doesn't have to just be people. You can have that circle around you and say, I will not let fear in. I will not let anger in. I will not let disdain in. I will not let hatred in. You can do that. Draw that circle and make it a wall around you, a boundary, because we need those boundaries. And you can also draw that circle and say, I will let me in, and I will love me first. Not egotistically. Not I'm the best and the greatest and you all are no good and um, judgment here and there. No, 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 no. It's not what I'm saying. Love yourself enough to know what love is. Love is a feeling. It's not even a thought. It's not a definition. It's not some, you know, scholarly uh, dissertation. It's none of those things. It's something that you feel inside so deeply that you can't explain it. It makes you do some crazy things because otherwise, if you listen to your head, you wouldn't do them. You wouldn't say the things you're doing. You wouldn't all of a sudden, you know, jump out your front door and, and run all the way across country because the one you love, the one you feel that feeling for, is on the other side of the world. People do that because they feel that energy and they go with it, and they're not afraid of it. They do it. That's what love is. You have love for your cat and your dog and your children and your mom and your dad. You, have, you do. You love them. But I'm talking about the love that is that soul love. That love that comes from deep inside. So deep, you can't put a finger on it. You can't define it. You can't always do anything except you just want to go to the top of the mountain and shout at the top of your lungs. I love. That kind of love. And that's the kind of love you have to find for you. When you find that love for you, watch what happens around you. Everybody will fall in love with you. They think. What they're falling in love with is the energy of love that you emanate, that you emit everywhere you go. And when you do that, you won't feel suicidal because the whole world's going to love you. Look what happened with Barack Obama. He's a loser. He's not as smart as anybody thinks he is. He's all the things you've heard about him, negative. But the press, the media, which is the electronic communications that we deal with, that's energy went out there way before his nomination and turned him into a rock star. They told everybody, he loves himself and you love him. He loves himself and you love him. And before you knew it, all these people thought they loved him because he loved himself. He'd never had that kind of attention before. He never had that kind of love from the media and people around him. So the more he felt it, the more he felt it. The more he fell in love with himself, the more people fell in love with him. 
was it right? Not for our country. But if he was some guy on the street who needed that kind of love, it was perfect. It was great. He didn't want to kill himself. He didn't want to end life. He didn't want to do anything bad to anybody. Okay? Um, I'm sorry. You're hearing my mother's dog next door who does not love himself. <laughs> he hates everybody because he doesn't love himself. Um, anyway, as we're as we're talking about suicide, um, you notice that when most people attempt suicide, it's exactly that. It's attempted. They talk about it sometimes. They don't talk about it. But so something clicks. All of a sudden, something happens. And they feel so desperate, so depressed, so without love for themselves first and then from everybody else that they think death is the way to go. And what's so good about death? Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows what happens when it happens to you. That would be the fear of the unknown, and that would be the biggest fear anybody should have, I guess, if there was such a thing as fear of the unknown, because we don't know what happens. We could make it up. We can take a drug and pretend, but we don't know what happens. So what's so good about that? What is good about life? You get to hear a barking dog. You get to see the sun behind the clouds. You get to go skateboarding. You get to have a meal cooked by somebody who loves you. You get a hug once in a while. You get a smile on the street. You see a newborn baby in a carriage or a carrier. You see a bird fly by who's singing. You see a sunset. You see a wave. You see the wind as it blows through the trees. You hear the wind chimes. You wake up and you feel your breath. And you know that you're alive. And that you were given the gift of life. Now, I think if I had to compare the two, the unknown of death and the breath of life, I know which one I would choose. Now, in religions, they say when you die, you're going to heaven. Well, and unfortunately, everybody believes that you can do anything you want, anywhere, and you're going to die someday, and all you have to do is say, I'm sorry, and you're going to live happily ever after in some kind of kingdom that's going to give you everything you want, and everything's going to be perfect. Back to perfect. We're going back to being perfect again. If you do all the right things, your life will be perfect. Except it won't. Or you don't know if it will. So, why not take what you know? right now, that you have this life here that's about as close to heaven as you're going to get <laughs> for now. Embrace it, look at it, love it, feel it deep down in your soul. Look at everybody who's ever touched you, anybody who's ever hugged you, anybody who's ever said, guess what, I love you, and believe it, know that it's true, know that you need it, and give it back. Now, Everybody in the world says, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, or love you, love you, I hate that, love you. And they, they think they mean it in their heads. But when you feel it from their hearts, let them feel your heart back. And when you do that, if you keep doing that, and you keep telling yourself and asking yourself, what do I love about me? And what, what else can I love about me? What can I change to make me love me even more? Can I be more sensitive? Can I be stronger? Can I be more emotional? Can I express myself more? Can I let people know what I feel? Can I, you know, look at people differently? Can I smile more? 
Can I do all the things that make life a little better for anybody else? Because when I do, life will be better for me. And I won't want to kill myself. I won't want or need the attention of trying to kill myself. Now, I hope this was helpful. I know it's not the be-all, end-all. But it has been on my mind and on my heart for weeks and months. I see the suicides. I, I hear of the suicides. I know what suicide is. I've known people who have done it. I would like to be able to go out to every part of this country and have a circle with 20 or 10 or 15 or 50 or 200 people and just talk about what life is all about and what love is and what fear is and watch the transformation within that circle. Whether you're a veteran or a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old or a newlywed or an old lady or a middle-aged woman or uh, whatever, whatever you are who are listening to this, um, I will come to you I'll, if you get me there. I'll get there. I've done it with kids in second grade, in kindergarten. I've done it with elders who are 70, 80, even 90 years old. I've done it with families. I've done it with just women. I've done it with women and men. I've done it just about everywhere in the United States. And when we do those kinds of circles, when we talk about all these things the way I am now, people find that part in their heart and their soul that's been buried and cluttered and filled with garbage from all the things around us. They clear it all out, or at least they try, and they find that love, and that love for them goes out to everybody else. You think we need it? I do. Maybe, maybe. If we have a little more of it, we'll have a little more life, a stronger nation, a stronger us, and a lot less suicide. This is Raina G, earthwalk-usa.com. Please share this.